Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Welcome to Israel and You. It's good to be with you today. We have some exciting news uh, coming up in just a few weeks on April 26th. It's a Monday night. Uh, we'll be in Mobile, Alabama with Israel team at Cottage Hill Baptist Church. It's a night to honor the Jewish people and the state of Israel. The keynote speaker is from Auburn University. Coach Bruce Pearl, a Jewish man, is going to be speaking about anti-Semitism, the rise of anti-Semitism. It's a night for the Christian community to honor uh, the Jewish community in the city of Mobile. So if you live in the Mobile, Alabama area or in that region, you're so welcome to join with us that night. Uh, Bruce will be signing uh, our new book that we wrote together uh, about anti-Semitism, the casualty of contempt. You'd like to come and uh, invest in the Jewish community and in the Mobile area. Uh, please come and stand in solidarity with them and meet uh, Coach Bruce Pearl. And then in Auburn, Alabama, on April 29th at 7 o'clock p.m. at Lakeview Baptist Church, uh, it's again a night to honor Israel and the Jewish people and Bruce Pearl, Coach Pearl from Auburn Men's Basketball, uh, Coach of the Auburn Tigers, will be the guest speaker once again. And so if you go to our website, israelteam.org, you can help us in these events. Uh, we're uh, spending uh, lots of resources in making these events successful. You can imagine the security needs that we have in these events because of the subject matter. We want to protect the Jew Jewish community that'll be there with us. So you can go to israelteam.org to the donate section. And for a donation of any size, the month of April, we're going to send you a book I wrote with coach Bill McCartney entitled Two Minute Warning, Why It's Time to Honor the Jewish People Before the Clock Runs Out. Go to israelteam.org and you can help us in making these events to honor our Jewish friends uh, successful. So t this week is Holocaust Remembrance Week. It's between Sunday, April 4th and Sunday, April 11th. It's known as Yom HaShoah, and it's a week all around the world where people are remembering the victims of the Holocaust, and we want to honor the memories of the precious lives that were lost. And we think about the incomprehensible wound to our very humanity of man's inhumanity to man. And so today in this program, we're going to honor those victims, and we're going to remember uh, the Holocaust, which was the uh, Nazi persecution and annihilation of six million Jews in the death camps. Some were gassed to death, many were tortured, others were uh, shot point blank through places like Ukraine. And interesting story uh, that is related to the Holocaust in uh, the 19. 60s, there was a man, he was known as Adolf Eichmann, 
And he was the architect of the final solution. That was Hitler's final solution to round up all the Jews in Europe and uh, load them on cattle cars and send them to the death camps where they were starved and uh, put to death in the gas chambers. So this man, Adolf Eichmann, he fled after the war and he found safe passage out of Germany and uh, made it to Argentina. And uh, in the 19, early 1960s, he was captured by uh, Shin Bet and Mossad security forces and flown back to Israel to face trial. And the survivors of the death camps testified at Adolf Eichmann's trial. And one of those survivors, his name was Yahil Dinur. And he was a prisoner at Auschwitz. And he testified at the trial of Adolf Eichmann on June 7th, 1961. Eichmann sat in uh, a glass-enclosed uh, surrounding bulletproof panels. And as Denur testified and saw Eichmann and gave his testimony of what happened to him, and he remembers seeing Eichmann in the death camps, Denur fainted in the middle of his testimony. And later, a couple years later, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes by Mike Wallace. And Mike asked him, uh, why did you faint when you looked at Eichmann? Were you overcome by hatred? Were you overcome by fear? Were there horrid memories that just caused you to collapse in the courtroom? And Denur said, no, it was none of these. As Denur explained to Wallace, he said, when I saw Eichmann in the courtroom, he was not the godlike army officer who had sent so many to their deaths. This Eichmann was an ordinary man, and I was afraid about myself, said Denor. I saw that I was capable to do the same thing. And then he said the famous words, Eichmann is in all of us. And so on this program today, we're going to remember the victims of the Holocaust, we're going to remember what happens when man shows inhumanity to man. So the Holocaust was an incredible moment in history where six million Jewish men, women, and children uh, were put to death by fellow human beings. And so what Denur is saying is, you know, in Eichmann, I, I saw myself that each human has the capacity uh, to do evil. Uh, so as we remember today on this program, I'm going to remember my father's cousin, who was the LL captain who flew Adolf, Adolf Eichmann to justice. He was a pilot in the 1948 War of Independence. His name was Colonel Schmal Vettels. And there's an interesting movie that just came out starring Ben Kingsley, and it's called, entitled, The Operation Finale. And Pablo Flores Mani uh, played the part of my dad's cousin, uh, Captain Vettels. So I'm going to read you this uh, little story I wrote for the Jerusalem Post on May 26th, uh, May 22nd, last year, uh, 2020. And uh, here's what it says. 60 years ago at dawn on May 22nd, 1960, El Al Captains Zvi Tohar and Shmal Vettels guided their four-engine Bristol Britannia passenger airline out of the heavens towards Laud Airport near Tel Aviv. The plane was painted in brilliant white, dove-like. 
The royal blue star of David on the tail rudder glistened in the morning sun. When the wheels gripped the runway, both Tohar and Vettels breathed a sigh of relief. After completing their long-distance flight from Buenos Aires, Argentina, a span filled with intrigue and danger. Probably the most famous landing in world history was the Apollo 11 Lunar Module Eagle's touchdown on the moon July 20, 1969. Just as the Eagle's lunar landing was a triumph for technology, the landing of the aircraft piloted by Tohar and Vettels on that May morning in 1960 was a triumph for justice. For seated aboard the plane in the first-class cabin was the notorious architect of the Nazis' final solution, Adolf Eichmann. The irony is that the Jews, systematically hunted down by Eichmann in every fissure and crack and ghetto in Europe, their gaunt bodies crammed and pressed by strong Aryan backs into cattle cars with no ventilation or light, not being afforded so much as a minimal mercy in their transport to the death camps, even offered Eichmann a seat at all, let alone one in first class. The part that Vettel's played in the Mossad's dramatic capture of Eichmann is of particular interest to me because he was my was the husband of my father's cousin, uh, Panina Boxerman Vettel's. In my discussions over the years with my Israeli family about Vettel's, there has never been a hint of elevated importance of the man. No glowing commentary. They explained the part he played in Eichmann's capture matter-of-factly, without great fanfare. Vettel's was known to be a quiet and modest man, but I've wondered if there was something that inspired his courage more than just the longing to be legendary that can drive some men to take uncommon risks. A glimpse into his early years may help answer the question because Eichmann played a role, an antagonistic one, of course, in molding Vettel's life. Vettel's was born in Vienna, and when he was 14 in 1938, Hitler annexed Austria into Nazi Germany. Soon, Vettels would hear the name Adolf Eichmann. A dark rumor was spreading through Vienna's Jewish community that a certain commissaire of Jewish affairs named Adolf Eichmann promised a birthday present for the Fuhrer, a Juden reign, Jew-free Vienna. The rumor was true, and Vettel's family was soon evicted from its home, and Jewish children were barred from schools. Vettel's recall watching frenzied Viennese-inspired Eichmann's inhumanity, encircled an elderly rabbi, and beastly forced him to devour a raw piece of pork. The attackers celebrated by giving an animalistic shriek, while one in the swarm ignited his cigarette lighter and set the rabbi's beard aflame. What stunned Vettel's more than the hedonistic rage of the perpetrators was the crowd of onlookers. Priests and pastors, bankers, school teachers, mothers with children and strollers, watching a defenseless, defenseless rabbi being brutalized and robbed of his dignity, in total indifference to the spectacle. For a Jewish boy living in the cultural birthplace of Strauss and Schubert, it must have been horrific to witness so many in its citizenry wholeheartedly embraced the Nazi ideology of Eichmann. After the flames of Kristallnacht ravaged Vienna, the Vettel's family fled to Antwerp, where they hoped to escape Eichmann's grasp. In 1940, Schmal's parents sent him to Palestine under the Youth Aliyah umbrella. Not long after, the Nazis invaded Belgium, and Eichmann swiftly gathered up Schmal's family and transported them to Auschwitz, where they perished. 
Now orphaned in Palestine, Vettels became a soldier in the Palma, the elite fighting force of the Haganah. It was here that he heard the name Adolf Eichmann once again. Knowing Eichmann was in hiding after the fall of the Nazis, Haganah personnel were given security blacklist number eight in October of 1947, which warned them to diligently watch for Eichmann because it is not inconceivable that he may have succeeded in infiltrating Israel. As a pilot in the 1948 War of Independence, Vettels flew a battered Piper Club into enemy fire, delivering arms to the notorious Nabi Swamwell convoy surrounded by the enemy in Jerusalem. In one airdrop, he was shot in the face. Vettels would go on to become a respected and seasoned commander in the Israeli Air Force and later a captain for El Al. At 36, he was chosen to be the co-pilot on the Mossad's mission to Argentina. And when he was told by the El Al manager of the operation, Yehuda Shimoni, that they would be bringing back Eichmann, he kissed him on both cheeks. He realized he would be responsible for transporting to justice the man who had transported millions, including his family, to the gas chambers. I cannot imagine the sense of vindication that arrested his heart at that moment, and most likely a sense of foreboding as well, knowing he was about to confront the monster who murdered his loved ones and shattered his childhood innocence. Vettels would later recall, I knew the crew members well and knew that for most of them, just as it was for me, the Holocaust was a tragic molding, an influential event which held great significance for our lives. On the journey back to Israel, Vettels opened the cockpit door and walked toward Eichmann. How did Vettels respond to the heartless killer? The director of the Mossad operation, Isar Harel, sitting near Eichmann in first class, saw the handsome captain approaching the Nazi. Harel records Vettel's reaction in his book, The House on Giribaldi Street. During the first part of the journey, Vettel's also helped to attend to Eichmann to set a good example for the rest of the crew. He was ready to help with even the less pleasant tasks. He never ceased marveling at Eichmann's healthy appetite. Vettel's himself couldn't eat a thing from the moment Eichmann was brought on board. Perhaps showing Eichmann kindness when he could have bitterly confronted him was part of Vettel's vindication. Perhaps he understood that he and the others in the operation were messengers for six million victims of the Shoah, and he did not want to disgrace their memory with revenge. We're going to pick up the the rest of the story when we come back from the break. But I encourage you, if you go to IsraelTeam.org, you can help us in these events as we stand with the Jewish people during these desperate days when anti-Semitism is is rising all across America. You can help invest in these events where we will provide security uh, for our Jewish friends as we stand together in solidarity in Mobile, Alabama, and then up in Auburn University with Coach Bruce Pearl. We'd love to see you at these events. We'll see you on the other side. Recently, my wife Sharon and I went to the Jewish Film Festival and we viewed a film entitled A City Without Jews. It was based on a book by the Jewish writer Hugo Bater back in 1922. And he wrote about a fictitious city, which was actually Vienna, Austria, and said that uh, the Jews were being forced and persecuted out of the city and driven on trains. And 14 years later, uh, it actually happened. Uh, Hitler came in and he drove all the 
Jews from Vienna into the death camps. The next morning after we viewed this film, my wife said to me, I wonder what our city would be like without Jews. And as we compared notes, we realized that the Jewish community had done so much to bless our city. It was a Jewish philanthropist that built the cancer center. Uh, the universities in town were largely uh, funded by the Jewish community. The arts and museums were funded by the Jewish community. And so Israel team, based on this whole concept of honoring our Jewish friends uh, in our city, uh, we're establishing this program called A Night to Honor the Jewish People and Israel. Our first event will be at Cottage Hill Baptist Church on April 26th in Mobile, Alabama. Coach Bruce Pearl, head men's basketball coach of Auburn University, will be the keynote speaker. And then in Auburn, Alabama, on April 29th at 7 p.m. at Lakeview Baptist Church, again, Coach Pearl will be the keynote speaker. You can help us in these events to provide security and protection for the Jewish community that will be attending. You can go to israelteam.org and for a gift of $25 or more, we'll send you our book, two-minute warning that I co-wrote with coach Bill McCartney of Promise Keepers. This book talks about three coming revolutions coming to our world based on Israel. Go to israelteam.org. That's the donate section at israelteam.org. Thank you for standing with the Jewish people. This is Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Welcome back to Israel and You. And uh, today on the program, we are remembering uh, the victims of the Holocaust. This is Holocaust Remembrance Week uh, internationally. started on April 4th, Easter Sunday, and uh, it ends on April 11th. It's known in Hebrew as Yom HaShoah. It's the international uh, time to recognize and remember uh, the Holocaust. And I'm telling you the story, a uh, story I wrote for the Jerusalem Post on May 26, uh, 2020, about my father's cousin. Uh, his name was Colonel Samuel Vettels. He was the co-pilot of uh, the El Al plane that flew Adolf Eichmann, the author of The Final Solution, the architect of The Final Solution, uh, back to Israel to face trial. So we'll pick up the story. We're almost finished with it. And it says this, during Eichmann's trial in Jerusalem, the victims of his brutality came out of the shadows and their televised gripping testimony shocked the world. The voices of the messengers had not been collectively heard until then. The community of nations convulsed with horror at man's inhumanity to man. And one would think the morbidity of the revelations would have put an end to the age-long insanity of anti-Semitism or at least quench its fire, but it didn't. The messengers spoke, but the world did not take the message to heart. Vettel's played a part in delivering the message, but the world, it seems, has forgotten it. In the dedication ceremony of the Yad Vashem Holocaust History Museum in Jerusalem, Elie Wiesel, Holocaust survivor, said, There is a frightening character in all of Kafka's stories. It is always the messenger who tried to deliver the message and is unable to do so. But there is something more tragic than that. Namely, when the messenger has delivered the message and nothing has changed. You have heard tonight those who spoke about anti-Semitism and intolerance. Now, 60 years later, when the messenger has tried to deliver the message, why should there be anti-Semitism? But there is. Why should there be suicide killers? But there are. Why should there be hatred? But there is. 
fanaticism. Yes, it's calmed. No, it is here. The messenger has delivered the message. What is our role? We must become the messenger's messengers. On the 60th anniversary of the landing of the Britannia from Buenos Aires, may we remember the brave men and women of the Shin Bet, Mossad, and El Al who paved the way for the messengers to tell their stories to the world. By remembering and retelling, we become the messenger's messengers. And maybe, just maybe, we can make the world a better place. And so that's why we remember the Holocaust. We want to remember uh, the victims. We want to make the world a better place. And you might ask, what is it about the small group of people, the Jews, a small fraction of the world's population that can unite the far left and the far right, the rich and the poor, the religious and the anti-religious in opposition to them. Generally speaking, Jewish hatred historically has been directed toward the values of their faith, the values of Judaism. Catholic Bishop Edward Flannery once said, it was Judaism that brought the concept of a God-given universal moral law into the world. The Jews carry the burden of God in history, and for this, they have never been forgiven. So the Jew, I've always said, is the alarm clock of the world, and few people appreciate being startled by an alarm clock. Western law was built on the foundation of a Jewish ethical and moral worldview. Anti-Semitism, it's first and foremost, is a hatred of the God of the Jews. The anti-Semite cannot harm God. So he turns his hatred towards God's chosen people. This is why Jews speak of those that die at the hands of anti-Semites as Kedush Hashem, ones who sanctify God's name. And so we're in this desperate time in our world when anti-Semitism has risen to a whole new level of violence. And that is why Israel team is, is doing what we're doing. We're trying to stem the tide of anti-Semitism, especially on college campuses where we're seeing this uh, darkness uh, prevail uh, against the Jewish people on college campuses. One example of someone who has bravely pushed back against the darkness of the cultural war against Jewish people is Dr. Jason Hill. Dr. Hill is a tenured professor of philosophy at DePaul University in Chicago. He is a Jamaican immigrant to the United States and a courageous supporter of Israel. Dr. Hill recently wrote an article for the Federalists supporting Israel's right of existence and her legal right to the land. Several campus groups at DePaul have risen up against Dr. Hill, calling for his apology, resignation, and a demand that he attend racial sensitivity training. Dr. Hill has been criticized by university faculty and censored by DePaul's president. Has Dr. Hill cowardly succumbed to these charges of racism and bigotry? No. Several months ago, Dr. Hill wrote an open letter uh, to then Attorney General uh, William Barr. And here's what he said in the letter to the Attorney General. Uh, he said this, uh, SJP, which is Students for Justice for Palestine, foments hate towards Jews on 200 American college campuses uh, nationwide. And he talks about his own experience with the Students for Justice for Palestine and five other groups that rose up against him on uh, DePaul's campus. Leading a pack of around six student organizations, the Students for Justice of Palestine 
took over a university building where they chanted, Professor Hill, you can't hide. We know you want genocide. They disseminated and littered school property with thousands of leaflets with my picture on it. The leaflets cast me as a demonic racist, an Islamophobic, transphobic, war criminal, and an advocate of ethnic cleansing and genocide. Death threats were made against me, and I needed campus escort for at least three weeks while on campus. In the name of what sort of moral cowardice do we, said Dr. Hill, the American people, allow for this effrontery against our civilization's values and political principles to be waged by a group of jihadist nihilists who hate not only Israel but the fundamental values of Americans. We do not need to go the way of Europe is going by yielding to radical Islamization. We need not foment into civilization of fear and hatred. Fear is alien to the American spirit and character. We are still one nation under God governed by reason and the rule of law. The moral mandate is ours, and while tomorrow may not be promised to any one of us, we must all command the future so long as we are faced with cults of death. And so that is what America is up against today. There's a a cult of death that's rising against uh, the Jewish people, against the state of Israel, and we must remember uh, and stand with our Jewish friends who proclaim never again. What they are saying is we never want uh, man's hum- inhumanity to man to rise to such a level as the Holocaust. And so may we proclaim with our Jewish friends never again. Uh, I have a photograph that I hold dear. It's the photograph in, uh, from Yad Vashem. And Yad Vashem in the Hall of Remembrance they have uh, numbers for all of the victims of the Holocaust. There's millions of them. So my family's number is 39111. And uh, my family, the Boxerman family, uh, lived in Trostanets, Belarusa, present-day Ukraine. My great-great-grandfather, Yankel Boxerman, uh, protected the Jews of Trostanets from the Cossacks who came in and uh, raped and pillaged Jewish villages during the Russian uh, pogroms. And uh, his daughter, my great-grandmother, Celia, married Jacob Krupnik, and they fled to America during the Bolshevik Revolution. Celia was my my great-grandmother. One of her brothers, David, immigrated to Israel in the early 1900s. The other brothers stayed in uh, Trostanet, this little village in the Ukraine. And in 1942, the Nazi Eisengruppen came into Ukraine and uh, murdered 500,000 Jews, my family uh, being part of that group. And in the picture, there's a girl in the, a polka dotted dress, and uh, her name is Leah, and she witnessed the atrocity. She was hiding uh, behind their house as the family was dragged from the house into the streets where they were machine gunned to death. And uh, today, her daughter lives in Beersheba, Israel. And I recently was privileged to have breakfast with Leah's daughter, my, my cousin. And you see, in Israel, because of the Holocaust, uh, we don't have cousins. We have brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters. So you can go to Yad Vashem uh, to their website. It's very educational. Yad Vashem is the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem. And because of COVID-19, Yad Vashem has done something very rare. They've, they've done a virtual tour. And you can go and see this virtual tour on uh, YouTube today. It's free of charge. 
and it takes you through the Holocaust Memorial. And I encourage you on, on during this week of remembrance of the victims, the precious victims, over one million children were uh, murdered in the Holocaust. As we remember, I encourage you to, to take this virtual tour on YouTube of Yad Vashem's Holocaust Memorial. Go to IsraelTeam.org to the donate section and you can help us in these two events coming up to honor the Jewish people uh, in Mobile, Alabama and Auburn, Alabama. God bless you.